Okay, welcome to the uh, conversation with Reggie Routman and our uh, other esteemed guests, Jamie Sicconetti, Jason Drysdale, and Helen Prawl. I hope I said your last name correctly. And um, but uh, it's nice to be here and uh, just with Reggie today to take her time to uh, kind of just first celebrate, you know, the end of the instructional walk course. Talk about some big topics, some questions that seem to come up a lot from uh, leaders in all areas of literacy, and then uh, just defer to some of your questions. So uh, first of all, uh, thanks for being here. And um, any went I'll first, Reggie, did you just wanna say anything uh, just to, to get us started? Well, I think it's great starting with celebration. I think that it, no matter what you're doing and no matter how difficult things are going, that that is, um, something to just always start with, you know, not only in teaching and leading, but in life too, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. And you don't see it a lot, especially now with a lot of teacher burnout and leader burnout. So I think just to remember that and that um, people are just kind of doing the best they can. And, um, and sometimes that has to, even if it's not great, that sometimes that has to be good enough, mm -hmm. you know, just to always find things to celebrate. is a great way to start. It reminds me of the first recording we did. You mentioned that uh, good is sometimes good enough. Uh, oh yeah, two years ago, and that still still remains the same. And um, well, yeah, it's a, yeah. just tell that story, Matt. If they have you, had, do you know what he's talking about? Yeah. So um, after I had done a residency in a school, it was a high poverty school, and these kids were really struggling in everything. But we were focusing on writing, and no matter how well the kids did and they did pretty well for for after as the week was going on and they had lots of choice and saw lots of demonstrations and they were writing about things that were important to them the teachers were still when they came up for a conference they were like the mindset was improve 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 even though they didn't say that it was well how else could you say that and could you add a little bit more here and um and so at the end of the week when when um I asked the teachers what they took away from the residency. Um, and this was in a written evaluation. And one teacher said something that I guess I had said a number of times, good is good enough. And she actually presented me with a necklace. It was like, a, what do you call it? Paper mache, beautiful. that said, good is good enough, which I wore for the last three days. I have it on my wall in my office because I think that it's not always true, but when kids are, and teachers too, they're having a really hard time. And then finally they make some kind of a breakthrough and maybe they just wrote two sentences instead of one to celebrate that. Not like, okay, well now go back and add some more. And then, you know, you just, so I think it, I think it's important for kind of all things, you know, our family members too, they tried something, they didn't do as well as we hoped they would, but was it good enough? Probably, or at least for today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sorry i'll make sure i include that link to the previous podcast i think that's a good place to come back to um it has a picture of, of what you described too Regie. so and i just want to welcome our guests here too uh like i said helen and jamie jason we also have debbie uh welcome hi, great debbie. to see you hi good afternoon glad to hi. be here and i don't want to be remiss without mentioning Regie's most recent two books well, literacy essentials um this is a uh, as well as Read, Write, Lead. These two books are on my shelfie uh, right next to my computer. I'm 
regularly referring to them to uh, just guide me and you know, my seventh year now in my current school. And um, it's just a wealth of information. So um, uh, yeah, well, let's, I guess what we'll do is start with just some wins. And uh, if anyone would like to go first and something like, as Regi said, what was either good is good enough or, or you know, you know, anything that you felt like was a real success for you. Can I share, sorry to interrupt, Jason. Well, Jamie, we'll have you go first and we'll go to Jason. I was just going to share, um, it reminded me of just yesterday, I was asked, and I'm a special education director, and I was asked by a fellow colleague, um, special education director for a different district, and she said, I don't know, Jamie, how are you, how are you finding the wins? Where, like, I am so exhausted already, how do you see the wins? Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I love my job. I really do. And it's, I have to be in the classrooms, like seeing the kids and not just, you know, putting out the fires from my desk and, and um, hearing the worst case scenarios come to me. I need to see the joys in the classrooms. And so I think that that is so relevant with um, your work, Matt, too, and just being present in the room. So and I think also um, through our IEP meetings, I'm always stressing for starting with strengths. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you have to even set a timer in an ETR meeting or something evaluation and talk, you know, say, we're going to talk for three minutes only about strengths. And let's all just start rattling them off. So it's good for parents to hear too. I love that idea. Jamie, of starting with strengths and making sure you give it enough time for people to, to do them. Well, it's a mental mindset and it's a big shift for a lot of people. You know, I think I made that shift when I became a reading recovery teacher. And, um, you know, before then it was like, I was like one of those improve, improve, improve. And when I would be evaluating a child in writing, I'd be writing down all the things they couldn't do. And it was just, I don't know, it's sort of like an American mindset. I don't know if it's Canadian as well, but um, and, the, and the marvelous thing about reading recovery was if the child could only write the first letter of their first name, that's what you wrote down. The child could write the first letter of his first name. And that was just a huge shift for me. Oh, my goodness. I see my friend Gail here. Gail. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gail. I'm late. I'm sorry. I'm late. Oh, you're, you're never late if you're here. So. Right. Right. Well, awesome. Thanks, Jamie. That's cool. Cool idea. I wrote that down. Uh, Jason, what's uh, from your world, what's been a good uh, good win for you? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So I'm an assistant superintendent and uh, I oversee um, school and division strategic planning in our division and so we work with 42 schools. And one of the, the wins and celebration is as we are moving back to what I would see as a quote unquote more normal school year after two and a half years of COVID restrictions is the energy and excitement that I'm seeing with our early years and middle years principles about re-engaging in some of Regi's work and the on-demand and using those samples to help us determine yeah. where kids are and to take them from where they're at. So those, those on-demand samples are helping us to, to shift thinking from a, where we think kids should be to positioning ourselves actually with where are the learners in our system right now and then using those authentic, reliable data sources, the student writing, to drive our work forward. That's super exciting and energizing for me at a system level to be thinking about that and doing that 
and not thinking about two meter distancing and masks anymore to the same extent we were. Mm -hmm. That's remarkable. And I don't think that's common either. A lot of it has to do with your leadership, Jason, which I know personally, but um, especially now sort of, I don't know if we're post pandemic, but people talking so much about loss, you know, without saying we in ed urban education, we've always been talking about kids being far behind. This is not something new, but just, you know, taking them from where they are and building on those strengths and not, you know, just like worrying uh, and lamenting that, oh my goodness, they're so far behind. It's a, it's a mental mind shift, don't you think? I, I do. And, and I think that I think about conversations I have with my colleague, Karen Boyd, who's uh, the other assistant superintendent in the curriculum realm. And it's really the way in which we've tried to position that work and not talking about loss and deficit, but rather thinking about where are kids and how do we move them forward from that place? And I, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, we, we've got a real opportunity here mm -hmm. to be able to reignite this work. And there is real energy and enthusiasm within our system, especially amongst our principals and vice principals, to re-engage in this work in a deep and meaningful way. Because mm -hmm. unfortunately, over the last two and a half years, these haven't been the things we've been able to focus yeah. on. And people are hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to read more about Jason's district and, and their work, um, he's in Read, Write, Lead. Um, and he's also in my book, uh, Leading Like a Coach. I had a chance to interview Jason, some of the principals there. And um, it's, 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 it's a neat thing to see at a district level. It's real impressive. And, and deservedly so, because let me just say this, that Jason was is a rare uh, superintendent mm -hmm. that does not just expect leaders and teachers to uh, take certain actions, he models that behavior. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other superintendents that, and I've met a lot of superintendents. So don't be embarrassed, Jason, it's true. Um, <laughs> but um, I think so just adding on to what he said, when you have uh, the superintendent saying that we're gonna take kids from where they are, that takes a lot of pressure off of teachers. So then they're not thinking about, oh my God, this child needs to make two years growth. You know, it's a whole different thing. It's like, okay, this is where this child is. And we're going to take this child as far as we can. That's a very different thing. It, I really think it takes the pressure off. Yeah. I, I was just talking with a teacher today who was feeling some of that pressure. And I, <clears throat> I wish I would have said that, you know, let's just meet them where they are and not worry too much about the curriculum and <clears throat> go slow to go fast, as, as Regi said before, too. So it's a good reminder. And just welcome, Gail Boucher. Uh, great to see you here. And uh, anyone else would like to just share a win uh, success you've had recently? I'll, I'll share a win. Um, Reggie, I actually just was mentioning you in a conversation I was having with a first-year teacher before this Zoom, um, because I believe it was in invitations that I read as a new teacher. Uh, you said that teachers need to go out and live an interesting life so that we have something to give our students. And that was the advice I was giving my new teacher is go out and, and do something that brings you joy so that you are full um, and you have something to offer your students. And then Matt, I've been reading Leading Like a Coach. Um, and just last week, I went around, you, you had uh, posted something recently on Twitter about letting your teachers know that you're going to be coming around at ELA time and looking, you know, just looking for 
what what are students doing and so i did just that um just kind of wrote down some of the things that that we've been talking about as a staff um, of what we want our readers and writers to be doing and then i just sent an email out again as you talked about matt and um, with these are the things I've sell, I'm observed. This is what our students are doing as readers and writers. Um, so really just to generate that excitement and teachers have commented on how my circling back to our focus on reading and writing is really keeping them focused on what our goals are as a school. So thank you both. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. Yeah, I, I, we have a communications director and she likes to say, uh, just when you think you're over communicating, that's when the people start to hear it. Um, and I think that's very true. And um, yeah, and, and, it, and I like to leave it anonymous too. I mean, people kind of associate like, oh yeah, I did that. And it, it may not even be them, um, but they start to associate the best promising practices with what they're doing. And that's, that's a great approach. Yeah. That advice that you gave about just send this out, the teachers will see themselves in the list of things that you, that you observed. Um, that helped me going back to our previous conversation about what's good enough, right? Like my feedback needs to be good enough um, for them to keep going. Great insight, Debbie. Uh, anyone else, uh, Wynn? Uh, don't have to, challenge by choice, but Helen or Gail, if okay. you want to celebrate anything with us. Can I go next? Can you hear mm -hmm, me? Please. Can't hear. Uh, put it. Uh, um, I'm just going to unplug because there's a, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a problem with my earbuds, obviously. Um, I, I'm just so inspired and everything you've been talking about has been resonating with me. I'm a reading recovery teacher leader in Winnipeg. So I know Jason and um, yeah, very inspiring to um, be around such amazing folks here. Um, but I think I want to start with Matt, when you wrote about vision in your book, um, I just that to me, like I hadn't really thought much about vision, like having a vision for your work and your school. And, um, you know, we talk about beliefs a lot and we talk about missions, but I just love that idea of a vision. And so it really got me thinking about my own role. And we've really been delving into it as a way of reclaiming our work with reading recovery teachers are really delving into Mari Clay's theory. And so, you know, just going back and reading some of her original work and seeing what her vision actually was for reading recovery. And it's really been quite effective with our finally in-person sessions again with teachers and they're quite inspired to read about, you know, what, what her vision was you know they know her work they know procedures they know theory but vision was something that I think was a little bit something we weren't emphasizing quite enough and so um you know that that to me and I I feel like when I think of vision and in and reading recovery I think of um how we're so uniquely placed to work with emergent literacy learners and um how our vision kind of um matches everything you were saying about we take them from where they are, we work from their strengths, and we celebrate them, children, and we celebrate um, sharing and working together with them to, to uh, have them learn and, and try to prevent those literacy difficulties from continuing. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. That was so well said. But the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking was that one of the things that Mari Clay um, did so brilliantly, and I don't know, can't think of another educator that did it, was to have that roaming in the known, just to take yes. that time mm -hmm. to get to know the student. And so it's mm -hmm. all about relationships. And I don't remember who said this, but I love this quote. Um, Progress moves at the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're tr trying to get people on board in a building, um, and, and this is certainly true in reading recovery, that's what you're doing. You're building that trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. And without that, mm -hmm. nothing really is possible, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, mm -hmm. So true. I'm just writing that quote down. Every time I talk to Reggie, I'm always quietly. Like, I can't take her that. wisdom. I can't remember who said it, but I loved it. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, some of the questions, um, Matt, when I was looking at some of the questions that came in, that is the very, very first thing. And mm -hmm. Jason knows that. And that's why, and the, those of you that are in Winnipeg, why you all work so well together is you've developed this trust because you're all, it's not just like you're telling people what to do, you're doing it with them. You're all part of a team. And that I think for me is the my biggest learning lesson and why things fall apart so quickly is when you don't have that real deep trusting relationship that people know each other professionally and personally to some degree, um, it's really hard to get a whole school together. Mm -hmm. you know? I think it's very significant that Matt is in his seventh year as a principal and I met him uh, I don't remember. You were right in the very beginning years. Yeah, 2012, I think. Because for a long time, I was afraid to say, put it on paper, that it really takes seven years to get a school um, strong enough and stable enough where teachers tr trust each other, where um, the professional trust is there from grade to grade, that it's a it's a totally loving um wonderful place to be and that takes a long long time and with and I didn't used to talk about it because it scared people off like seven years oh my goodness but that is the reality and then when Matt and I were talking if he were to leave now his school would be fine if he were to finish seven years we were talking about that because he has a strong leadership team the trust is there in the building I think that's really really important because one of the things that has been uh, disheartening to me is you put all this work in and then you have a, a few key people leave and things can fall apart pretty quickly. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's trust as too as me trusting as a leader, the teachers too, to be leaders as well and facilitate. I was telling Reggie, you know, we have a lot of our staff now run the staff meetings. I'm there and I'm the leader positionally, but there's so many, um, you know, informal leaders and even formal and they're on leadership team or they're on that social emotional learning team. And they're also um, just stepping up and just saying, here's here's how we do things. You know, again, going to Helen, this is our vision and, and here's how we're going to act it out this year. So, yeah, I couldn't do it without them. Um, Gail, anything you want to share? 
Well, thank you so much. You know, I, I'd like to say I really admire um, Matt, you and Regie, your collaboration. And also Regie, as you're talking about, you know, talking about the collaboration that you've had with Winnipeg too, I think to model that in the books that you've written in having this conversation together that we, you've modeled that none of us were, are here where we are because we've stood by ourselves. Every single one of us are here because we've stood and leaned in to um, the amazing people that we choose to be our colleagues. <laughs> and, and both um, Regi and Matt at many times, you've been my colleagues and you've never even known it. So, um, you know, I want to Thank you for for that and just being here. And also a small, small win. I have to tell Regie, I'm I was in a classroom this last it was just yesterday, and she and I had been talking about uh writing and where how to help teachers at the beginning of the year, any time of the year. And she talked about having uh teachers start with poetry. So Regie, I handed uh the poetry book the second grade one to the second grade teacher in our grandchildren's classroom. And I'm going oh. in tomorrow to help her. That's a big win. <laughs> a, I tried in the fall. I tried in the spring and it never quite happened, but it's going to. And Gail's so. being very modest because we met several years ago and became very close friends and colleagues. And we actually did a poetry unit together about a year ago. That's on both of our websites. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, great. What a what a lucky classroom to have you sitting in there. <laughs> it's, it's joyful. Another win. Very joyful. Yeah. Well, great. I, um, it's great to hear everyone's wins. My win is just um, I got through a second round of instructional walks. Um, mm -hmm. I've just been keeping them very brief, a couple minutes, and just trying to glean one just thing that I've noticed and the impact it seems to have on kids. And I just leave a small note, um, just trying to keep it brief. And um, yeah, and I. Um, I guess the win though is I'm actually meeting with my instructional, our instructional coach now, not just mine. And she's helping me look through all the data because I'll write down, you know, what was their response? You know, what, what's going well for them? What's something that's challenging them? What's something that they would like to discuss? And so she's reading the same time as me because she's going through classrooms too, doing similar work. She's not writing things down, but she's uh, noticing and talking and She'll really, she's affirmed a lot of what I've seen. Then she'll ask me questions of how I'm interpreting it. So it's just kind of like multiplying our influence, you know, because we're sharing our knowledge together. So if you're lucky enough to have an instructional coach in your school um, as a leader uh, or, or whatever, or if you could partner with someone, um, that just seems to really accelerate this work too. Absolutely. Um, well, um, Reed, you talked about trust, and I'm looking at the questions, and I put the link in the uh, chat if you want to read them. Um, you talked about trust, though, and why it's so important. Um, anything you wanted to add to that, or you feel like we got it? Well, the only thing I would say is that if you're a brand new teacher or you're a teacher that hasn't done that well, and you have a principal come in or somebody comes in and they're observing you, that's very, that creates um a high pressure situation for somebody who's not confident. And so the trust can take a long time to build. But again, it's like what Jason said, you have to start where people are. And I can remember many years ago when I was working in a school 
a teacher just being terrified. I could see it on her face when I walked in and, um, and I could see she was not ready for me to, to do anything except to calm her down. So I said, let's just go sit at this table over here and give your kids something to do. And then all I, we, I just sat across from her at the table and I said, you know, what's going on? Just, just relax. What, what would you like to talk about today? I don't, we don't need to, you know, I don't need to be taking notes on what you're doing, which was, 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 would have scared her at that time because she was feeling so inadequate. So it can be a very, very slow process and you have to start where they are. But I'll never forget the look on her face was just one of terror. And the worst thing I could have done was just do what I usually do, you know? And so I think um, in terms of that vision, the, the whole humanity part um, has to be really clear because we can have a vision for everybody, but we're dealing with people mm-hmm. <laughs> have um, insecurity and, and um, fears and anxieties, especially these days. And so we have to take all of that into consideration. And she just, you know, it took a, it took a while for her to relax. It didn't happen in just that one visit, but then the trust. And I said, well, is it okay if I take some notes today and we're going to celebrate what's going well? I think the other thing that helps a lot is, um, and I don't know if you've talked about this before, but um, doing the celebration of the teacher in front of the students before I leave the classroom, you know, I noticed this was going on. There's always something that you can notice that that they're doing well. And kids like that. They like to hear, wow, my teacher is doing a good job, you know? <laughs> um, again, I think it's all about relationships. You know, without that, you, there's not that much that can happen. It doesn't matter how good your vision is. Um, it doesn't matter how good your plans are. If you're not relating as a staff well, principal, teacher, teacher to teacher, student to student, the progress is going to be limited. I was trying to articulate kind of a literacy culture to what you were saying, Regi, and I compared trust to like the, when you're building a home, you know, if, if the culture is a home, the trust is the foundation, the, mm. the, the basement, the, you know, it just holds everything up and without it, it's just, you know, you're, um, it's not going to stay together. And um, that's a great metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. With the foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you have, we had another question. Why is it critical that leaders know literacy? I would, I'll defer to you again, Regie, and I can well, add. I that's an easy one, actually. And I, I'd love, love to, I want to hear other people talk as well. But um, if, and this was such a, you know, for my book, when I wrote, um, I think um, the last one, I forgot, the, uh, Literacy Essentials, or was it the one, I can't remember which one, but it was the theme in that book that um, teachers have to be leaders and principals and leaders have to know literacy. And that took me, I'm a slow learner, <laughs> 20 years to figure that out. But what happens is if principals and superintendents don't know literacy the way Jason does, which is rare, um, then you don't know what to look for, or you can be looking for very low level skills. So the teacher has on the board, for example, that they're focusing on some phonics sound that day in the first grade classroom, and maybe they're spending you know, a half hour on that phonics. And if you don't know literacy, you don't realize, my goodness, this is this is not a good lesson. These are first graders, you know, 30 minutes on phonics, which is what's happening right now with the science of reading. That is not acceptable. So you have to be able to, you can't really evaluate what the teachers are doing 
with any sense of um, professional knowledge if we as leaders don't know what to look for and what literacy is about. Um, I think writing is a, is a, is a big area where um, what we worked on in Winnipeg more than anything else for 10 years. So the teachers uh, need to know how to respond to writers. And so if the principal doesn't know um, the, the language of, of, of helpful feedback and the teacher's not using that, we can't be helpful to them. So I think it's critical. And I, it was a hard lesson for me that it took me a long time to learn, but, and that, and that's where the instructional walks came from for, that's my original term because it's not about evaluating the teacher. It's really about building that trust and that celebration and the culture for the building, which is so critical. Um, and noticing the winds and the trends and um, anyway, yeah. other people should, but it, it's critical. And, and you've probably found, I mean, some of you I'm sure have seen that. Um, yeah, I yeah, 100% agree, Regine. It's, yeah, like you said, it's real tough to, to have a conversation when we're, we're not even talking about practices that are gonna move kids forward. Um, just from your from the uh, the other uh, guests here, just any insights from that or um, a response? Just the only thing I would share, Matt, is that when we think about like the title principle, it it's about first teacher. And mm -hmm. if you're going to be the first teacher and the teacher leader, then you need to be able to be engaged in those teaching and learning conversations. And if you don't have that knowledge, you're not doing an instructional walk, you're meandering through the school. And, <laughs> and we need to think that uh, if we want to change the trajectory for learners, then as the first teacher, we need to be deep and engaged in that. We're not just there to be building managers. You know, we, we know that those pieces can overwhelm us, but we need to carve out times um, that brought us into the profession. We got into the profession to care for kids and to be good teachers. And we got to become principals and vice principals and superintendents because we want to advance education. So we need to find time to keep that at the front of our thinking so that we can ultimately serve and support the communities that are in our trust. Yeah. Wow. It's so well said. Yeah. yeah. And I think even if you don't have a literacy background, it, does it prohibit you from, I mean, in some ways it can be an advantage, at least in the beginning, you can just come in and just, hey, tell me about, tell me about this lesson and just, I'm really curious. And, and I think if you come from a listen and learn and um, an invitation to to have a conversation, uh, like Reggie described, just tell me what's going on, what's what's happening. I That's that's how my learning was accelerated. Uh, I was in a reading recovery school prior to my current school. And I remember walking with um, <laughs> first year, I was, walking with the lead reading recovery teacher. Um, and we were a hub. So we taught other districts on reading recovery. They would come to us. And um, I was walking with her and she had a student with her, you know, one of the first graders and just trying to touch base with her on something um, just unrelated to literacy. You know, my, it was my first year as a principal. And she finally turned to me and says, you know, Matt, this is my teaching time. <laughs> she says, I know you don't understand that, but, um, this is how I build relationships with this kid as we walk to 
you know, our intervention and said, Oh, I said, well, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> you know, I didn't, you know, I was totally new to this um, approach. So I think just maybe lowering the ego is something I had to work on and almost feel like a new teacher leader in, in many ways, not just a new leader, but a new teacher. So uh, other thoughts on just literacy and leaders knowing it? I will say, um, especially with the current climate with science of reading and, and all of the I will say the noise that's um, that's going on out there. I'm a principal at a TK5 school. This is my sixth year, so I, I almost have it figured out. Um, I, I think it's so important that we understand, again, the purpose um, and what kinds of readers we're trying to create. I, I think there's you know, always people with a, an interest in selling us the next the next program that's going to fix every problem we face in education. And without a solid understanding of what children need, um, I can see how leaders get get swayed by the you know the sales pitches and and everything else. And so to to be able to speak truth to um, you know, to district administrators or to say from a place of I've taught hundreds of children how to read. Um, that really helps me as a school principal to advocate for what I know, um, the kind of professional development my teachers need and the kinds of teaching my students need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the topic up. Um, it's, it's something I think a lot of leaders are dealing with and they're not sure how. And um, I, would, I would refer to them to Regis books, I think, well, I mean, there's it's so much science in there and um, just a lot of evidence-based practices, but, and I also, also noticed these companies and organizations are, I don't know if they're targeting principles, but they know that that's the person who often is making, is very influential in the decision. So I just going back to what the previous question of knowing literacy, it's, it's crucial, yeah. Well, and Debbie, you were able to do that because you have professional learning going on and you know what you're talking about, right? So I think part of the reason why a lot of these commercial programs sell so well is because people are not knowledgeable and it's easy to, um, it, it seems easy to put a program into place, you know, when you don't know that much. And then you, you, you're convinced that you don't know that much. And I think that, um, the professional study is not something that um, comes naturally to our profession, you know, where you have a whole school professional learning going on and people really understand the research behind the science of reading so that you could actually talk to somebody who's trying to sell you something and say, well, wait a minute, you know, this research only holds up under certain very narrow conditions. And this is, um, and science is not fixed, it's still evolving. So and phonics is important, but it's just a small piece of becoming a reader. You know, and that would be part of the vision that you were talking about, Helen. You know, the vision is not to get a whole lot of phonicators, as I've heard other people call them, but people that are actually readers who read for pleasure and information and set their own goals and, you know. Yeah. I remember your colleague Sandra referring to them a decade ago at your institute as, as word callers. Mm -hmm. word callers yeah 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 very appropriate um i'm gonna just i think i'll go with one more question here if that's okay Reggie, and and now i'd like to just open it up to to the whole group of other questions you have and 
uh, respect your time, but um, this one came up a lot in the survey and it's just in, in various different ways, but how do you, how do leaders or how should leaders communicate feedback that teachers can hear and act upon? I see that as the most common challenge, I guess, is how do I, you know, we obviously we start with noticing and naming what's going well publicly, um, but once you have that trust, um, how do we how do we communicate the information? And in my book, um, you know, I didn't call it give feedback or deliver feedback. It was communicate feedback um, to really reinforce it's a two way street. And um, but uh, thoughts on that, Regie, of of what you found to be effective. I think it's really hard to give effective feedback. And, you know, you think about, you know, just in our own families, I know, you know, my husband will say certain things to me and sometimes I'm receptive and sometimes I'm not. And I think that's, that's kind of true for all of us. I think, again, it's, it's the, the trust, you know, what, what does this person really think about me or what I just did? Um, I think one of the things that works well is, um, asking what kind of feedback would you like from me today? What might be helpful rather than taking over? And then eventually, you know, as you have that trusting relationship on instructional walks and working with colleagues, um, you know, what did you notice today about um, how students reacted when you did such and such? So you did it, the more you can say things without judgment, Really, I don't think it should be judgment. You're just saying, this is what I saw. This is what this student did. Tell me what you were thinking when that happened. So I, I never it has to really be sort of a negative thing. Um, how might I be helpful to you today? Rather than, I know in the beginning, I was very much, which I think maybe that's why some of us went into teaching, I, you know, I used to like taking over and dominating the conversation and telling people what to do. And that doesn't work very well in school or in life. So um, I've learned, you know, and I, I, and Matt and I have talked about this. I don't use the word should like ever. And you won't find it in my books. And that was a hard lesson. You should, I, I like, I, I tried to use, you might think about, you, you could consider, but not you should do this. You know, that's not for me to say. And that is, um, I think that, uh, takes over too much. So I think feedback has to be respectful. It has to be kind. It has to be timely, needs to be actionable, something that act a person could actually do that's not going to be a burden. Um, I guess kind, I would say, is the first mm -hmm. thing. You know, how might I be helpful to you today? You know, I'm going to be in your room for the next 20 minutes. Is there something that you'd like me to look at? Would you just like to sit down and talk? You know, but um, I think it's all about respect. Uh, you can't change anybody, right? You know, most of us are stubborn. And um, so when feedback is given in a way that is non-threatening and that is respectful and actually useful to the person, people are responsive. But nobody is responsive to, you know, that was a terrible lesson. I just saw the kids over there were just not listening. <laughs> Forget it. They're not going to want to see you ever again. <laughs> I mean, that might be true, but, you know, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, they're not going to hear it because it's, it's judgmental and. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It, it's very you know, hard. Really. And it may not be true. I mean, it may be, you know, you, you weren't in there. And that's 
one of the mistakes I've made is I've tried to be focused on growth improvement versus just helping them reflect and see what I see. And um, I've often gotten it wrong. Um, so I, I love that approach. And that when I was uh, reading more about feedback, it just across all coaching approaches, it just seems to come back to this. Here's what I saw and what did you think about it? And really like that approach. I think also if you have a teacher that's really struggling and mm -hmm. let's say the lesson is going badly and that person doesn't have an idea, if you just, and I've done this both ways, if the teacher is really just brilliant, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I've never have seen anybody do that. I just write the language down mm -hmm. and it's a gift to that teacher. They don't remember it. Look at how you handled the lesson and what the kids were saying and how you elevated the conversation. I wrote down everything you said here. This is a gift to you. Yeah. But also the other way, let's say it's a terrible lesson writing down everything the teacher said and said, let's talk about this. What do you notice? I was, I was scripting your language. And is there anything that you notice here that you want to talk about? Um, and then if they say, well, they're just not getting it, then I might say, well, there was one thing that I noticed here. Um, and I wondered what, when, when you saw the student did do this, what were you thinking? Was there something else that you might've said just to keep it non-threatening? Mm -hmm. You know. It's, it's a difficult process. Jason, how do you do it with, um, I mean, you're working with, um, I mean, everybody's fragile. I've learned that, right? Um, but you're working with, with principals and other superintendents and you're giving feedback on a high level. What, what have you learned that works well? Well, I, I guess for me, part of it too is, is being precise, I think, as you've talked about and, and sharing observations, but it's also about being clear on purpose. And what are we going in to look for? And I don't like the term ground rules, but it's a bit about setting the table. And why am I coming in? What am I looking for? And, and then a, a phrase that sits with me is that whole notion of seek to understand first. So it's asking questions. And that's so important. And instead of passing judgment, asking questions about tell me about, or can you offer some insight on, or I'm intrigued by, what was behind your thinking? Some of those things that open the door uh, to, to the dialogue. So the, the what and the why questions um, that, that I think are invitational and, and build us into that uh, professional and collegial dialogue. So um, I think about some of the work that we were doing a number of years ago, Regi, as we were establishing your work in, in our division was about positioning the principals and the vice principals also as learners alongside yeah. so that if we're doing that journey together, it then allows us to be able to go in and ask questions because I'm learning alongside you. And, and I think as Matt said at the beginning, you don't necessarily have to be a literacy expert, but you right. have to be a learner. Yeah. And so bring that lens to the table and ask questions and seek to understand. Yeah, that's, that is so brilliant, actually. That whole seeking to understand is where everything is at, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this is great. And um, I think at this time, we'll just open it up to any questions you have for Regie or for me or anyone here. Uh, we've got a lot of expertise in the, in the digital space here. So uh, go for it. I have a question for you guys. Um, you got me thinking about developing trust 
And as an authentic leader of literacy and an instructional leader, um, I've been thinking about like my um, blog or whatever is called Lessons Learned, but it's sometimes hard for me to share that with my actual colleagues and the teachers that I'm working with, um, as opposed to just, you know, the vast internet out there. And because I sometimes feel that I have to know the right answer and I have to um, have this leadership of being right and I'll help you see the right way or something. I don't know. I'm trying to understand that of myself, but I'm wondering if you've ever shared some of like your authentic failures or like, I realize I did this wrong and um, here's how we can build trust moving forward. Do any of you have an experience with that? Yeah. I, you mind if I go read you here? No, go. Okay. So I'm going to actually show you what I've just posted today. Um, I did a survey, an instructional leadership survey, and I listed on my staff newsletter um, uh, my top three and my bottom three. Um, just pulling it up now. Uh, rated elements statements around instructional leadership. I'll just pull it up here. I'll share my screen. So it's just, I am just posting my learning journey um, this year. Can you all see that? Yeah. Okay. So here's my SLO student learning objective. You know, it's pretty typical. I think what you'd see 80%, you know, you're trying to aim for strong core instruction. Um, and I explain my rationale for that. And so using this as an example for teachers, they can also use it for their student learning objectives. Um, the other piece um, it, for the effectiveness project or uh, evaluations is the professional practice goal. So I'm working on habits and productivity and structures and tools to be you know, better at. So there are my top three. Um, and then here are my bottom three. And so it's, um, they don't, they don't always find professional learning helpful or relevant. They don't all, I mean, it's still decent, uh, but it's one of my lower ones. They don't feel like I always follow through on responsibilities and commitments and clear, there's not clear enough lines of communication and open dialogue. So I'm just posting it out there. And I think kind of two goals here was just one is to be very vulnerable and just have it out there and um, I think that will give them permission then to, to talk and kind of, again, it, and it keeps coming back to trust, right? And if I can be vulnerable and open, then they have kind of a permission to do that too. Um, and I think too, like, you know, sometimes we get nervous about sending these surveys out and you're afraid someone's going to sabotage it or use it as a way to maybe exercise some disgruntledness. And I just post it and I'm like, I, you know, I really don't, I'm okay with whatever you want to put out there. And it, um, it's not easy, but it's, I guess it just shows that, um, you know, I'm a learner Again, going back to what Jason said. So that's one thing I'm doing. I don't know if that's answers your question, Jamie, or what yes, I love that trusting relationship and like how much you're showing that you trust them. I'm showing you my weakest and I trust that, you know, thank you for the feedback that they gave you. So it's a good reminder of a survey and mm -hmm. sharing it out there. Thank you. Yeah. I'll, I can share the survey that I developed um, sure, that'd be awesome. with the group here. So, yeah. But uh, anyone else like to respond to Jamie's question of just 
Well, I think I think that uh, you're being vulnerable is, I mean, congratulations on that, because I know when we first met, you wouldn't have been able to do something like this. It takes a lot of confidence in yourself and with your staff. Um, so that's really admirable. I, I just really appreciate that. I think um, people love to see it when somebody who's a so-called expert just messes up. I mean, they just love it. I can see the smiles on their faces. I remember that... Um, and this happened at Strathmillan School in Winnipeg, oh, some years ago, but I always did evaluations at the end of, um, we all did, you know, how did things go, what went well? And I was shocked that the thing that most people took away from all of the teaching was that when the lesson wasn't working well, the teaching was not going well, and I was leading it, and there were like 30 people in the room observing, I stopped and said, hey, kids, this isn't working very well. I'm not exactly sure why. And I changed the plan midstream to meet the interests and needs of the learner. And the teachers were shocked. You changed your lesson plan. <laughs> I didn't know we could do that. You know, so that was, I just, I just never forgot that. So they were smiling as the lesson wasn't going well. And here we you know, we have this expert from out of town and these kids are just flailing, you know, they were just not responding. And so I just said it out loud, this isn't working. And they were like, just kind of looking around. And then it was fine because, you know, we switched gears and that was the main thing they took away. So I think, I think failure is good mm -hmm. um, if you learn from it, you know, yeah. and we all- there's a book by Robert Keegan, the everyone culture, everybody culture, if you, but uh, he just says that people are walking around doing two jobs. One is your regular job and your second job is, you know, protecting your ego and not being vulnerable. So um, that's probably true. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Other insights or just any good of the other questions? I would just say as encouragement, um, Jamie, to being vulnerable as a leader and, and sharing, you know, the lessons that you've learned. I think more than anything, we all want to know that we're okay, right? And so when we mess up, um, it's comforting to know that other people have done that. And so um, just in our staff meeting yesterday, as we're looking at our most recent reading scores and our students are not where we want them to be, but that I don't know what the answer is, but I know that in this room, we're going to figure it out. Like we have enough minds here and enough hearts, like let's, let's figure it out and we'll constantly adjust. You know, we hear about growth mindset. We could talk to kids about that, but how often are we willing to model it um, and engage in it with our colleagues? So I think when we go first as leaders, that gives teachers permission to do the same. Yep. Trust starts with us. I would just say too, that um, at a system level, I think it's important as a system leader that we say that it's okay to fail as long as we fail forward. And, mm -hmm. and I think about in, in Manitoba and in Canada, and as we're on the doorstep of tomorrow, which is our National Day of Truth and Reconciliation um, related to the harms of racism and colonialism for Indigenous people, mm -hmm. is that one of the legacies of that is that Indigenous students in Canada uh, are not achieving at the levels that we want them to. And as a system leader, not only do I lead some things around early literacy intervention, but I, be, I lead Indigenous education. And I often tell people, I would rather you make a mistake and you fail in trying 
than not to try at all. And I think it's important that we as system leaders be able to stand up in front of people and give them that permission and know that the division in the system will back them if you have, you have love and goodness in your heart and you're motivated to do the best by kids. And I think it's, it's important as system leaders that we say those things um, publicly to our principals and vice principals and to our teachers. Wow. I love that. Yeah. How can you not love that? <laughs> it's important. Uh, other questions? Other anything you would like to ask? Um, yeah, I. Those things I, I'd love to know, um, Matt and Reggie both. You, Matt, you've just your book just recently came out, but you wrote it obviously when you write a book. It, it you know you wrote it a year ago and it came out. I, I'd love to know what you're thinking now, what your next thoughts are, what, what you're working on. And I'd also love to know what Regie's um, working on also, if you would. Yeah, uh, I'll go first, Regie, if that's okay. Of course. All right. Um, and I'll be quick. I'd, I'd, I'd rather listen to Regie. But um, uh, one thing I'm working on is trying to just, I've written for 10 years on literacy and leadership. And I just want to kind of curate a lot of the things that you know, seem to resonate, seem to help me. Um, so one thing I'm working on is, a, is just a community. So it's just going to be a digital space um, where people can come in and, and find a, uh, access to all of the um, things they found most helpful. So here's the first four weeks for instructional walks that I did the email course on. So people can go there and they don't have to you know search and find it. Um, uh, one thing I'm working on, and we're working with Bring Me a Book and Lois Bridges and Regis a part of it, is equity projects. So they're kind of a student-centered approach to action research, a little more um, focused on, you know, disrupting inequities. And so um, that's one project. And so I'll, I'll invite you all and other people on the site to join me. And if you want your own space for your own equity project, I'll share the tools that we've um, adapted from other resources and um, happy to give feedback on that. So that's one thing I'm working on. And I would just say too, is just something just uh, when people respond to something I write, um, they're looking for like containers and structures for coaching and conferring, like digital tools that will house it and make it very e a lot easier to um, analyze the trends and patterns. And so I'm create. I did post a couple of tools in those um, email course posts, um, and I'll continue to do that throughout the year. So I'm just, I guess, in, in, in a much shorter answer, I'm going to be learning publicly. And uh, if you'd like to join me, uh, it'd be great. But uh, yeah, Reggie, what, what are you working on? Um, can we get back to side by side? Yeah. See everybody? Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Gail, <laughs> I'm working on a new book right now. Um, very different book for me. It'll be published by Routledge, um, Ion Education uh, next summer. So um, it is um, different because I've been teaching for 50 years. Yes, I am that old and older. And so it's looking at what have I learned? I've written 12 books. And so what does all that add up to in terms of what I know as a teacher and what I know uh, from living just, you know, from living life. And so it's about, um, if I had to put a title on it right now, which we don't have a title yet, but 
kind of the heart and soul of a teacher. What does that mean? It's a very personal book on how to live your best life uh, inside and outside of the classroom, how to have a good life, even though we're dealing with losses and you know some very tough things. Um, a lot about equity, a lot about stories. It's mostly stories and kind of part memoir, part teacher research and short, it'll be about 130 pages. So it won't be hard to read. So that's what I'm working on. And it's hard, you know, I would like to tell you that because I've written a lot of books, the writing gets easier. No, I'd be lying. I am really struggling. <laughs> this writing is very hard. It hasn't gotten any easier. And I remember something that Frank Smith said many, many years ago. Um, he said, it's not that I like writing, I like having written. <laughs> And so, you know, there's that sense of accomplishment after you write something, you know, that's meaningful and it comes together. But the writing itself, at least for me, is uh, difficult. So I'm excited about it. I'm nervous about it. Um, but I'm working at it, you know, little, little by little, one day at a time. Well, we're all excited to read it. So, um... Good luck with that, Regie, and um, it's so great to have you here again, um, learning from you and, and all your experiences, and it's great to have everyone here, too, to just um, um, share your own perspectives and, and what you're working on. So I uh, just want to just close with just saying thanks for being here, and uh, please continue to reach out, and and then, uh, yeah, just stay connected. That's how we, that's how we, um, that's how we're successful is together. So thanks everyone for being here. And Thank you, uh, thanks for making it possible. Yeah. Thank thanks, you. 3G. So grateful. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>